Thank you for listening to the Adult Explore the Bible Weekly Leader Training Podcast. This podcast is designed to help teachers prepare to lead a Bible study group using LifeWay's Explore the Bible adult resources. Each week, we review the Bible passage for this week's study, examine some questions teachers may face, and give some teaching tips along the way. I'm Dwayne McCrary, your host, and today I'm being joined by Brian Daniel. Brian, thank you for being with us today. My pleasure. Great to be with you. Uh, we're going to be looking at session 13 of our study of Ezekiel and Daniel. It's the last session in this quarter study. Uh, we'll be looking at Daniel chapter 9, verses 4 through 19. Just for context, Daniel ends the eight through chapter 8 through 12 is three visions. Chapter 8, we have the vision of a ram and a goat. Uh, chapter 9, uh, Daniel's reading uh, from the book of Jeremiah, and he realizes that there's that Jeremiah predicted there'd be 70 years uh, in exile, and he's doing the math and realizing we're at that point. He has a vision about that, and he prays as a result of that. We're going to be looking at the prayer here in just a minute. And then in chapters 10 through 12, he has a third vision that involves persecution of believers or of God's people, and then a battle that's the end of history. But we're going to focus on the prayer that comes after he's been reading the book of Jeremiah. And that's in chapter 9, verses 4 through 19. We have three outline breaks in that, that section of Scripture. The first one is confession made. The second one is righteousness seen. And the third one is forgiveness sought. In verses 4 through 6, that's confession made. Daniel began his prayer with confession, and he recognized that God had remained faithful while the Israelites had rebelled and turned away. Daniel also noted that they had failed to listen to the prophets sent by God over the years. For us, what we can walk away from that is understand that confession is the first step in gaining reconciliation with God. In verses 17, uh, excuse me, in verses 7 through 14, we've entitled that righteousness scene. In these verses, Daniel went on to declare God's righteousness in his dealings with Israel because of the people's disloyalty. He asked for compassion and forgiveness, knowing that their sin was against God and God alone. For us, we can understand that we should humbly acknowledge God's righteous dealings with us and that he moved his wayward people towards repentance. The last section, verses 15 through 19, we've entitled Forgiveness. In these verses, Daniel continued by recollecting God's past righteous dealings with Israel. He called on God to show his mercy and glory yet again, trusting in God's compassion and not the worthiness of the people. He ended the prayer by pleading for God's forgiveness so that his people might bring honor to his name. For us, we can learn that forgiveness is granted by God as an act of mercy and compassion towards his repentant people. We've got several things that we may want to look at here, Brian. Uh, this first thing I want to point out is the prayer here. He begins it. All, all God, the great and awe-inspiring God who keeps his gracious covenant with those who love him and keep his commands. So that's the very first words of this prayer. How does that prayer point to the importance of God's name and us honoring that? I think you begin here, don't you, Dwayne, with uh, notions of, uh, of God's glory and what it means to glorify to glorify God. And um, I've been reading, I've spent a lot of time in John. I've been reading the commentary, Exalting Jesus and John recently. And there was, and one of the passages that gets into that, and just to put it simply, God's glory is his goodness and to glorify, and that's a noun. And then to glorify God is to celebrate that goodness. 
When his good his goodness is a noun. No glory. Glory is glory a noun. Is the, glory yeah, is, glory a noun. is a noun. But to but but to glorify, of course, is the verb, and that yeah, is yeah yeah. That is the process or the act of celebrating that goodness. And so, when you talk about the importance of God's name, and us honoring that name, I think I think it's it's crucial to keep in mind glory and glorify and what that means in, in terms of like who we are and how we have been created. And I think, I mean, you can tell me what you, you can tell me your thoughts on it, but it seems like to a large extent, we have culturally lost some of that. Um, at least it's not something that we live in the complete reality of this idea of glory and just the bigness and vastness and how comprehensive God is. And then honoring that name with glorifying him. And so in terms of importance, I think maybe even humanity is we have been created lies in the ability to do this effectively. I wonder how our sense of God's glory is impacted by our sense of our all for him or uh, our, our taking the idea that God's our friend and, and forgetting that he's our creator sometimes. We may be straying off the subject a little bit here, but we have, we have lost some of our ability to wonder. And so the idea of all, I mean, when you think about culturally and us collectively, and this, a lot of what we're talking about and we'll be talking about in these, in these minutes of the podcast is the, is our corporate identity and who we are collectively. And so if you take that for granted, there is a sense of a loss of wonder and ability to wonder. So Dwayne, I would ask you, what does instill awe in people these days? Even in the church, I think it extends to that, that we were so numb to great things. And I don't know when we lost it or how it happened, but I think that's, I think it's a good discussion to have and yeah. what that means to us and who we are and what we become and in particular with our relationship with God. Because if we don't have an all for God, when we start, we will view ourselves as being the one who caused it. And then we define who God is and not trusting the Bible to define who he is or look to his character and see how he's working around us. That would minimize our sense of need for forgiveness to begin with. We place God in that box and make him convenient for us as opposed to us uh, living in recognition of the reality of who he is. Yeah, you've got that that passage in Philippians and Philippians two, uh, just about the name above all names. We're talking about Jesus there, but there's, there is power in the name. And that's, that's essentially what we're talking about. And so you asked, you asked the importance of God's name and us honoring that name. Well, a lot of our, who we are and our identity, our rightful identity uh, hinges on just to what extent we do hold that as important. And I think as we go about our days and weeks, it's just real easy to wear thin. That's why we should die daily. We're called to die to die daily. We are called to engage scripture. We are called to petition and in all things to give joy and thanksgiving. So this this idea of God's name and us honoring that name is a I think is significant in our in our in our walk. Yeah, one thing that we may do in our groups that may help us is the Bible skill for this lesson. Uh, the Bible skill asks us to notice repeated words or phrases in a passage, but it also points out that Daniel contrasted the people's sin with God's righteousness, and it tells us to read 
this passage 4 through 19 slowly and list the words Daniel used to describe the people's sin and how he articulated that sin. And then come back and look at how the variety of ways that he used to describe sin would help us understand the depth of God's forgiveness. In the uh, options in the leader guide, one idea that's given for use in the Bible skill is to create two columns. And on one column, uh, as we read through the passage 4 through 19, we list the ways sin is described. But in the other column, we list the ways God is described through this passage. And then we compare the two. And when we do that, we may become more aware of our shortcomings in light of who God is. And that may increase our sense of awe that we've been talking about here. One thing that just occurred to me while we we're having this conversation is one of the reasons we don't want to have an awe for God is we don't want to admit our own sin and God's faithfulness in spite of our sin. And you think about how in life so many things have been, uh, so many times we've been let down by something. And yet, and so we're no longer faithful to that. But yet, we've let God down multiple times, but he continues to be faithful to us. And, and that chart may help us understand that, which then gives us a whole different understanding of how God's forgiveness works in this world and the depth of that forgiveness. Uh, a question I have here, when I read through this prayer, you, you mentioned it being corporate. It's not just about my sin, it's about our sin. But a question that comes up here is, how does this prayer compare to the prayer that Moses offered after the, the golden calf in Exodus 32? There, the circumstances are, are, are similar, right? So let's just look at that. I think, uh, Dwayne, tell me if I'm right. It's, that's 3231. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. so, uh, so Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, these people have committed a grave sin. They have made a God of gold for themselves. Now, if you would only forgive their sin, but if not, please erase me from the book you have written. Uh, written. Well, that's a hard prayer to pray in it. Just wipe me out. So yeah. let's set it up. So in both cases, you've got a people, Moses has referred to them as stiff-necked, I think earlier in this passage, right? He said, you are, mm -hmm. I think when he, confront some you are stiff-necked people and Aaron is very involved in that and so you do have a people group in both cases you do have a a people that have every reason not to be acting a certain way I would say in Moses's case it seems to be a lot more palpable uh and immediate and dire I mean I I don't know hopefully most of us out there have thought about what this must have been like to have a mountain on fire and a guy going into that fire and spending a significant amount of time there. I mean, this is a traumatic experience that we've got going on in Exodus. I think the Daniel prayer and the circumstances in Daniel, it, it seems to me to be a lot more, it's just as, if not more uh, acute, but more subtle. This is a subtle, slow slide into sinfulness that we're coming here and that we've got here. So just circumstantially, those would be some of the differences. But Dwayne, it's also interesting to, to think about just the time lapse between the two. You've got centuries, if not, I mean, depending on who you read, it could be as much as a thousand years. Yet the reaction is very similar. I don't think that should be uh, dismissed that you've got a literal millennia 
separating these two events and yet you've got a similar circumstance going on. And so those are some things as I compared them, but in terms of like um, the prayers themselves, uh, obviously Moses is a lot more direct. And I mean, it seems to me there's a sense of urgency there. Whereas Daniel is a lot more from the heart. It's more meditative. It's more reflective. It is more, I would say maybe even honoring what then Moses' interaction and so you've got some personality attributes obviously that are going on there but Daniel seems much more prepared for this to go on behalf of the people than what Moses does at the time yeah another part of that could be the fact that Daniel was taken as a teenager uh, captive going to Babylon he's been in Babylon all of his adult life and he's he's uh, endured all kinds of things. He's seen uh, the fiery furnace. He's seen the, the lions. He's seen all kinds of things going on in his lifetime. And he's reading Jeremiah, which I, I find it fascinating that he's reading the book of Jeremiah and God speaks to him while reading the book. That tells me a lot about the role scripture should play in our lives. If, it, if Daniel was reading the book of Jeremiah, maybe that's something I should consider as well. But that facilitated the prayer. But he's been in exile a long time, and he's paid for the corporate sin in some ways. So it's very, uh, it's very personal in a different way than what it would have been with Moses, it feels like. Moses took it more personal in the sense that they've rebelled against you, God, and they've kind of rebelled against me, while Daniel is in, the, in a different boat where he's experiencing God's judgment, God's discipline because of corporate sin. And that gives a difference to the two a little bit, makes a difference a little bit, but yet you still see some of the same elements an awareness of who God is, uh, a sense of we've all sinned, a sense of God's grace, God being merciful, God being willing to forgive, uh, and it all be about his name being honored. Nothing more, nothing less. It's always about honoring God's name is what it feels like when I'm looking at this. I think it's, I don't, probably the first question is a better place to, uh, to, to submit this. But I think there's also something to be said here about how we reflect who God is corporately. I think both Moses and Daniel point this out. But I think Daniel is, a, is more direct in the way that he points it out and and his prayer or petition before God, where he talks, one of his rationales, Dwayne, is that these people represent you, Lord, to your enemies in the region. Mm -hmm. And that would be one of the reasons that you would spare us. And there's this idea of representation that I think we also should not take lightly as, as a church. And that's church at the, both the broadest level and at the local level. I think as as the capital C church, the universal church, but also the local church, we have to keep in mind who we are representing. And so when you get into God's name and honoring that name, how we engage the community is a big part of that and how we reflect that. I think it's in the uh, doctrine of Imago Dei, you get into this idea of telem, I think is the way you say it. It's spelled T-S-E-L-E-M. And it's, it is, it is one of the explanations of the Imago Dei that, the, the Imago Dei that we don't, we don't, necessarily espouse, but I think the thinking behind it is that when a king would go away for a while, he would leave an image of himself to represent his authority. And so even though he was gone, there would be this 
this representation. And while that is not really the best explanation of Imago Dei in terms of how we represent God, I think that is something that we should take it take to heart here is that how we engage community, how we reflect, how we interact with other people, even as a church, as members of the church, that we are representing God's name and that we should glorify him in all those ways. So that's also that's also in play here. Yeah, the corporate sense of this is very prominent, which uh, raises the question for us, because we think in our particularly in America, we think so much on individual level, we forget about the corporate level. And it begs the question here, what role do we have in confessing corporate sin? When you look at this prayer, Daniel, we think of Daniel being upright. Many of these things that he listed, he wasn't a direct part of, but his people were. So he takes on himself the need to to, uh, confess and uh, ask for forgiveness for the whole shooting match, for the whole group of people. And yet he does not. He sees himself guilty as a member of it, but yet I don't get the sense that he felt that he was actually guilty of doing these specific things. Um, So the question that we have to ask ourselves is what role do we have in confessing corporate sin in the church today? Yeah, I think what you're describing is that we should feel the appropriate weight of it, that uh, regardless of what, how we feel about our own contributions in this way, we should feel the weight of the of the body, I think, and, and act accordingly. And I think you, obviously you model and you set example, but I think that there's also, uh, you do your part in, um, in making others aware of what, I think a lot of us, like if you remember when, when God is talking through Amos, he says, assemble yourselves on the mountain of Samaria and look into tumult below. It's a people that does not even know how to do right. Yeah. That's why I think, uh, I think we have a responsibility in that way, but, uh, when I when I think about this, I think about three things. Uh, one is accountability, that we are all accountable, not just for ourselves, but for the group that we belong to. And that's, that's something that, that should be taken very seriously. And we should be very prayerful and have a very, a posture of humility in holding others accountable within the body. But we have to be sure we're taking care of ourselves. Otherwise, you have no credibility when you do that. Um, and then secondly, I think that there's a high degree of awareness and to be attuned to what's going on around us, like Daniel is demonstrating here. And of course, Moses, it wasn't so hard when you come down and it's <laughs> yeah. chaos if we're comparing those two things. But that's one, of the, that's one of the hallmarks of prayer that doesn't get discussed as much as it maybe should. But a posture of prayer allows us to be in tuned or attuned with what's going on around us and so that we're sensitive to things that need to be addressed so that's two and then the third thing is you have to be you have to we have to know god and to take those measures and to have those disciplines in place and those daily habits or weekly habits or the rhythms every way you want to articulate it that help us know god better and more fully and more intimately with every day and when you read daniel's prayer there's no question he has spent time with God. He knows who God is. He knows his heart. He knows his character. There's not much doubt about that when I read this prayer. Uh, I think those things are good reminders for us in our world today is we like praying for other people to be, to, uh, for God to grant forgiveness for them, but we don't think about God granting forgiveness for us in a corporate sense, in a, 
uh, and us being a part of them. Daniel saw himself as a part of them, even though he was not them necessarily. In the scriptural account, Daniel is one of the most admirable or commendable people in that way, I think. I mean, that's not to be dismissive of others, but he is in that group that and we talk about awareness and knowing God and being accountable. He he represents all of those things. And if you flip over to chapter 10, which um, and that encounter he's got with Michael, Michael said, if not for your steadfast prayers over the last 30 days, I think it is, he said, I would not have been able to break free from the Prince of Persia to be here today. So it was it was that kind of thing that had ramifications in the spiritual realm that we don't often get a glimpse into. And so that's that just gives us a just a peek into who Daniel was and his and his being and how and the thought of power that he had in that way. You know, you, uh, uh, this is tying to our previous conversation about not having an all for God like we we should. In a in our culture, we may be so tied to having a logical explanation, a scientific explanation for everything that happens that we forget that spiritual things are going on in the background and we don't notice the spiritual battles that may be taking place and we explain it with cause and effect or something like that and ignore the spiritual dimensions in our world and in our life. Maybe we're just afraid of it so, or we don't want to admit it because there's no way to control that part of it. Or we're just losing the ability to wonder and to... Yeah. And to see past our own reality. I think that's, I mean, we, I mean, we could get off the subject really quick, but I think that's one of the challenges with social media is social media invites you to make yourself the center of a fiction, of a fictitious universe. The gospel asks you to remove yourself from the center of a real reality, an actual reality. So I think, yeah, Dwayne, you're exactly right. I think we we just don't practice that part of ourselves enough or as fervently as maybe what we should. Any other thoughts or ideas you have here about Daniel chapter nine? Dwayne, I think that's it for me. Brian, <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you being with us. One thing I would encourage folks to do this week is this is the conclusion of the study of Ezekiel and Daniel. One thing you may want to do is just point the folks back to the table of contents walk them through some of the studies real quick and see if there's one lesson that stood out to them, that's impacted them, celebrate that with the group, encourage them to keep growing, keep thinking, keep studying on that, keep finding ways to celebrate God's sovereignty in our life. Cause I think we see that continually in Ezekiel and Daniel, that God is at work and he's trying to, he's not trying to, he is bringing about his redemption for our, our, our salvation. And he is, at work. And we just need to recognize that. So that'll be one way you could do that. We want to thank you for listening to us today. Uh, if you have comments or questions, you're always welcome to send me an email at duane.mccrary at lifeway.com. That is D-W-A-Y-N-E dot M-C-C-R-A-R-Y at lifeway.com. And I'll give my do my best to answer your question. Or if I don't know the answer, I'll put you in contact with the right person you can. Join us next week. We'll be starting a new study. We'll be looking at 1st and 2nd Thessalonians.